1: With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson.
0: Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Tanya Verkaitis of Eco Arts Living to talk about her experience with gardening, building community, and the Greenhouse Project. Eco Arts Living is about the lives we want versus the lives we create for ourselves. We spend too much time focusing on what we don't have the time, the skill, or the money to do. Life is about making time finding the space and doing your best. Eco Arts Living is about living with wholeheartedness and meaning. She is an avid gardener, foodie and prior restaurant reviewer and sits on the board of the Greenhouse Project. She believes that life is what's handed to us and living is what we make of it. Welcome to the show today, Tanya. Hello. How are you?
2: I'm doing great.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the show. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now?
2: Oh, gosh. Talk about many roads traveled. (laughs) I started my trek with food, I guess we'll say, actually as a burgeoning fiction writer who turned into a restaurant reviewer. Oh, really? Um, I've, yes, always been an avid foodie, and my love for food just continued after having been a restaurant reviewer for a couple of years. I won't say that I was a hardcore gardener. I always grew herbs and that sort of thing. Uh But once I had my children, it became a lot more important to me, needless to say, to think about where my food was coming from, um, actually starting to grow up myself, Mm -hmm. and then involving them in the process. So that's kind of where the urban gardening thing happened. My involvement with the Greenhouse Project started as me being a board member, again, because I was a grower and I heard about this community garden and they were looking for board members and they did some cool projects in the community. So I thought, hey, wouldn't it be fun to go out there and help these folks And now, six years later, I'm still a very avid board member and volunteer. And we've grown quite a bit from where we were when we started from being a community garden to actually running a greenhouse, a historic greenhouse in downtown Scranton, Pennsylvania, in the middle of our beautiful park, where we provide organic plants for people to put in their gardens, perennials, annuals, and then do lots of healthy living programs, nutrition for kids, nature walks for kids. Tai Chi, yoga, uh, the whole gamut of things. We do films. So we watch like Forks Over Knives. We just started an empowered eating program. So we're really trying to get folks to understand that, A, there is urban farming and you can grow your own food, but it goes much further than that. Uh-huh. And, you know, the whole food, body, mind connection is really important.
0: It's really important. And we're we're seeing that more and more these days with the health issues that are coming up.
2: Definitely.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned the greenhouse project, so let's start there. It sounds like a really fascinating project, so can you tell us about it?
2: Yeah, we've been running this greenhouse for approximately three summers now. We literally got in there at the beginning of growing season three summers ago, and it was like, oh my gosh, we have this huge space, we wanna fill it with plants. But what else can we do? The park happens to be right across the street from the hospital, one of our major hospitals. So we thought, well, how can we incorporate things that they may be thinking about in the hospital into what we're doing here at the greenhouse? And how can we actively engage with them and also think about how people are healing themselves and how they're making themselves better? It took a while to actually engage the hospital, Mm -hmm. but in the process, we thought about all those different levels of healing, starting with food, obviously, because we have the pac- capacity to grow food. Uh-huh. Um, so organic products that you can put in your garden and grow for your family next we started thinking about well how do we engage the community Um, with the community garden that we had every fall one of our big things that we did was kind of this harvest festival and we got kids to come out and we did a little bit of gleaning so to speak of the um, community garden but just got them engaged with plants and food and where their food came from so how could we expand upon that so we started doing nutrition programs with the help, help of university students um, where they would come in we'd use the plants we would grown maybe they would just make something as simple as a smoothie uh-huh. but a lot of these kids weren't getting smoothies at home or they were getting smoothies in a bottle you know the stuff you get right at 7-eleven or something but it's not really a smoothie but letting them understand that you could put all these good things in a blender blend it up and you have food. Um, Then we connected with a woman who does nature walks, and we started doing walks on the trails and showing the kids what plants you can eat, what plants are medicinal, Um, just understanding different plants and what their uses are above eating, of course, again, uh, and just helping children have a better understanding of where their food is coming from what it does for them, and why they want to eat this food that's coming out of their gardens or the farmer's market, as opposed to something you buy on the shelf that's processed.
0: Right, are you seeing that if the kids are growing it, they're more likely to eat it?
2: I can tell you firsthand that is definitely the case for my children. Uh In the greenhouse, we haven't had, up till now, the capacity for them to eat a lot of things that we're growing because a lot of the plants are starter plants. We have a couple of items that they can eat, but Uh we're actually building beds out back right now this weekend actually, um, where we're going to have strawberries and snap peas and asparagus so that as they come to visit the greenhouse and they're, Taking some of these healthy eating courses, mm-hmm. they can just go out to the garden beds and pick it and eat it. I know my children, especially my youngest, because she's not the foodie that my oldest is. She will eat things out of the garden bed that she will not eat if I put on her plate. It isn't can be that the wild? Same exact thing, but she's not going to eat it.
0: Yeah, isn't that wild?
2: It's crazy. I, so I... I just leave it out there, and a lot of stuff we never even bring in the house because she's just standing out there eating it.
0: Nice. Nice. So you've mentioned, so we're talking about this greenhouse. This is a special greenhouse. Yes. Tell me about that.
2: The greenhouse was built in the early 1900s and was very much used for growing plants for the parks and for planters in the city and that sort of thing i think up until i want to say the late 60s it was functional and then for whatever reason they stopped using it It was probably the expense of upkeep that sort of thing and it sat empty for a couple of decades the city decided to rejuvenate the greenhouse They threw a ton of money into it, put in new glass. They automated um, a lot of the windows and such. They put in cooling systems. I mean, it's really a rather high-tech greenhouse. And then they just put out a proposal asking for different organizations to put in a bid saying what they thought they could do with the greenhouse. And it was kind of crazy because we were like, oh, gosh, can we handle this? Do we have enough volunteers? Are we ready for this? Mm -hmm. And we wrote a proposal stating what we'd grow, what we thought we could do there, how we could actually use it year round. It took about another year and a half, I'd say, for them to go through all the different proposals they received. And then they chose us. And like I said, it was the very beginning of growing season. So there was no moment to kind of go, all right, What exactly is our strategic plan? Uh (laughs) Hey, here's a greenhouse. It is April and go, or it may have been March. We may have been lucky enough to be in March, but Mm -hmm. yeah, it was up and going from the moment we stepped foot in there.
0: So tell us, uh, tell us about the greenhouse itself. How big is it? Uh, What's it look like?
2: Yeah, it is. I would say approximately, Ooh, at least a thousand square feet, one giant greenhouse, Um, The ceilings are probably about 20 feet tall. We have cement floors uh, with drainage going down the middle. There is a structure at one end that we use as kind of our office. There's a breezeway that connects a brick structure. It's a really beautiful building that's been painted with a lovely mural. Uh Um, And then the main greenhouse is where we have all of our growing tables. Uh, We do use one end for yoga and Tai Chi, as I said. It'll probably end the yoga and Tai Chi in the next month or so because as the plants get bigger, we'll have to move more tables in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, out back we probably have another 2,000 square feet it used to be sloped area that we leveled off last summer, uh-huh. and that's where we're putting our teaching garden, as we call it. Mm-hmm. We can add more retail space out there. Mm-hmm. And then we want to build multi-level tables so folks that are in wheelchairs and such can still benefit from the programs that we do around growing and composting. So we'll have rain barrels and compost barrels and little watering cans so the kids can water. It's a nice area. It's a good... It's small enough that it's not overwhelming, Uh but just big enough that if you have a tour of about 30 or 40 kids, you don't feel like you're cranked.
0: Right, exactly. So you are bringing students, young students through there on tours?
2: Oh yeah, the local schools bring students through. We also happen to have a museum on the other side of the park, maybe 500 feet or something. Uh They do programs with children and will partner um a lot of times write grants because it is it started as a i guess a natural museum. a guy who was a botanist opened it or gave the money for it probably mm-hmm. I'd say about ten decades ago. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> Approximately. But because he was really into botany and preserving plant life, they do connect their programs with ours. Even though they have turned more to the arts, they do could still connect to nature.
0: Nice. <laughs> so th- this gr- the Greenhouse Project, this is many different levels. First of all, you're growing plants and mm-hmm. you're, you're growing pr- plants for the public?
2: Yes. They can come in and buy plants. Next weekend, well, we did some Easter sales, but Mother's Day weekend actually will probably be our big first big sale weekend of the year because we've been growing the flowers for those and getting the baskets ready, so we're doing a Mother's Day basket sale. Oh, nice. But above and beyond that, we probably had, uh, I'm going to say, 20 varieties of heirloom tomatoes last year. And oh, nice. we been growing ground cherries this year because people requested them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how much you know about them, but the seeds are rather hard to find. They're not cheap. Um, so these plants aren't necessarily going to be the most inexpensive that you find because we are using organic soil. Right. And putting a lot of care and love into these plants. So... Kale, broccoli, anything you would want to stick in your garden. Thai basil, Vietnamese cilantro. So we get a little eclectic, I think. It's not your regular run-of-the-mill. And now that we're thinking about perennials, we want to make sure we're doing the same. I mean, you can get coneflower pretty much anywhere. We'll have it. But we want to see what else can we bring in. That's a little different so that we're keeping up variety in what people are putting into their yards as well.
0: Perfect. So let's talk a little bit about brown cherries. I've heard of them before, but I don't know a lot about them.
2: They are delicious. My first experience was at some lodge out in Canada, probably a decade ago. And I had, it's like a little tomatillo. It's in a little teeny tiny husk Uh and it's a bright orange tomato basically. But at this place in Canada, they were serving it alongside dessert, almost like a little fruit because it's rather sweet. It's not As acidic, I think, as a regular tomato. Pineapple-y, mango-y type flavor. Wow! Uh, But if you plant them, they grow on, the vine is more tuberous, I guess. Uh And it gets a lot bigger than a regular tomato plant. And it is prolific. And you can just stand out there and pick these ground cherries right off the vine. Oh, nice. And you pretty much wait for them to fall, actually. It's best to wait for them to fall. And then you just pick up the husks, peel back the paper, and eat them.
0: Nice. All right, cool. Watch. So that's the plant perspective of this. And then, then you're reaching out to the community. You have classes mm-hmm. um, on Tai Chi and yoga. You've already said that. Um, and you're connecting with the hospital across the street for health, you know, to kind of help to connect the health benefits. Yes. So this nonprofit of yours, the, the Greenhouse Project, this is the multiple levels.
2: Oh, yeah. There's so much yeah. going on. It's amazing the growth that we've seen. And now that we have people contacting us to run programs, mm-hmm. it's so much easier in a sense, just because we can't do it all, you know? And someone just contacted us, we just started a program, I think I mentioned it, on empowered eating, uh-huh. which is basically a plant based diet. And this woman came in and said, I am fully into this. I will run the courses. I want to do, you know, every other Tuesday for three months, I will give people recipes. I will print up what we're handing out. You just give me the space, and I will provide the curriculum. And she will ask for a donation and give us the funds. So, I mean, what more can we ask for it directly connects to our mission? And while these folks are there learning about a plant-based diet, Uh they can then buy the plants to put in the garden to grow the food for themselves.
0: Beautiful. Come full circle. That is is awesome. So, I want to shift this a little bit and let's talk about how you became an urban gardener and um, you're involved with uh, permaculture.
2: Yes. So permaculture is kind of a funny story for me. Tell me. I am the gardener that I was just talking to someone about this this morning at the greenhouse, actually. I don't germinate my seeds. I don't do all the things you're supposed to do. I kind of look to see, okay, what can go in the ground when? And I'm just throwing it in and hoping for the best. I might thin a little, you know, I try to make sure there's no weeds. And I always was really good about using organic fertilizer. Uh Uh-huh. So one day, because my garden had gotten rather large and a little out of control, I thought, oh, gosh, there's got to be an easier way for this. So I did research for lazy gardening, and somehow permaculture came
0: up. How cool is
2: that? I know, which is pretty crazy. But I started reading what was out there and thought, oh, my gosh, this is totally me, like, This makes sense to me. This kind of follows my personal mission in life about how I live, about how I furnish my home. You know, this whole idea of doing things in the most natural way possible. So I kept seeing Gaia's garden Uh come up over and over again. So I bought the book and spent the winter reading it. And I thought, ah, I wish I'd gotten this in the fall so I could have done my layering and my soil. But whatever, we'll figure it out. And that's how I got started. So my yard isn't big enough to really have multiple types of zones happening. But I do the best I can, basically. And just try to make sure that I'm thinking about how things happen naturally in nature, even as I'm planning out my garden bed. Mm -hmm. So this year, for instance, I've always had, you know, my little rows and rows of gardens or garden vegetables. And this year I thought, you know, I grow all these things. It ends up becoming almost more of a hassle than it is a pleasure by the end of the season because I'm like stressed out by the weeds. How can I bring it back? to being pleasurable, and bring in what's important to me. And I'm really into the arts, so I decided I'm going to make a fun yard. There'll still be vegetables. There'll still be food we can eat. But I'm not going to worry about is this thing co-planted properly with this thing and Uh how many different items can I get in this space? I will make sure that things are growing with other vegetables that make them happy, but I'm not going to have lettuce and spinach and green beans and tomatoes and all this stuff i'm just going to have kale broccoli and onions and i'm going to use this watering trowel that i've had laying around thinking i'd do something cool Uh and i'm going to bury it into the bed and grow those items there and then ooh, look i have these candelabras giant candelabras i bought at a yard sale i don't know what i'm going to do with those so i'm going to stick this in the bed and grow nasturtiums up there and then we can eat the blossoms And I have a wine barrel. What if I cut it in half and transplant the strawberries into the wine barrel? So I'm not worried about weeding those beds. And then I'll stick a cucumber plant in there because they like each other Mm -hmm. and stick something in there so the cucumbers can grow up. So instead of being so regimented, I guess, and I'm not really regimented, I'm trying to think how to make my garden visually appealing still give us enough food to have and eat over the summer and maybe even can some tomatoes, but not have so much. I'm losing my mind, Right, Um, but that it's fun. And now we can make cool yard art and put it in this cool space where we're going to fill with pollinators and attract hummingbirds and bees and butterflies and still give back to the environment without driving myself crazy. So that's the new plan this year.
0: Nice. So, As somebody who has studied permaculture for 26 years now, I'd say you got permaculture. Okay. (laughs) You you got it. Do you have a definition? What's your definition of permaculture?
2: To me, permaculture means growing things in the way that they would most likely grow in nature. It's a very simple definition, but you know how when you go on a walk in the woods And here's this lovely little gully that's filled with ferns. And then you have the moss on the side of the tree and the random mushrooms growing out of a tree stump. I feel if I could make my yard look kind of like that, or I don't know if you've ever been to Scotland. Um, I did a study abroad in Scotland. But when you'd walk the moors and there'd be like tons of thistle here and then Scottish bluebells over here and then, you know, the sheep just meandering through I feel that's what our yards are meant to be. And that's what I think of when I think of permaculture. Not a lawn that's perfectly shaped and edged and, you know, a couple little boxwood hedges and some tools that spring up. But what would those plants do if we just kind of let them go? I mean, we can't take over the neighbor's yard, but... We can yeah. let them go a little bit, let them do their thing.
0: Or maybe we can take over the neighbor's yard.
2: Uh, my neighbor's, I don't know, not so much. But. <laughs> not
0: so much, there you go, there you go.
2: But yes, we should take over the neighbor's yard.
0: Beautiful. That was, that was a perfect definition of permaculture, by the way. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> so let's talk about Eco Arts Living and what you're doing with that project.
2: Yeah, so Eco Arts Living is a new thing for me. I am... Um, have been doing all this great work with the greenhouse and in my personal life I helped start a company that's been doing very well but it was very stressful it's the startup world you know whatever yeah. and it was very rewarding for me because I come from a nonprofit background and this company created tools to support nonprofits so what could be better but it was still stressful and about Two years ago, I got very ill, rather unexpectedly, and landed in the hospital for two weeks. And after that, I thought, okay, A, I'm this person who tends to be very healthy, and I believe that food can heal me. You know, now I'm going to make this work and I'm going to actually show the proof that this can work and I did and it was great and I thought about okay how do I relieve myself of stress because that's my primary problem Mm -hmm. and what can I do and how can I incorporate more mindfulness into my life and I did all of those things and I healed myself and I'm better and things are great and I don't take medication but I kept at the business and it was still very stressful and last fall winter it just got to the point where I said you know, I promised myself I was going to turn my life around and I do all these great things for my community and all the things that I do at the greenhouse are so important. Mm. I need to do this for myself personally. And how can I do that? And I started thinking about the things that I love, like food, <laughs> <laughs> my garden, challenging myself, I guess, in a mindful Way, you know, I I use the term spirituality kind of loosely because I think it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But how can I meld all of these things and create something that's important to me? So, hence, eco arts living. Um, The idea being that I'm thinking about the ecosystem, I want to include the arts and I want it to be a lifestyle. So, I blog about gardening, I blog about mindfulness. But mindfulness as it works for me. So I call myself a failed meditator all the time. (laughs) But when I'm in my garden and I'm digging in the soil and I'm putting in those plants or seeds, that is meditation of a sort. And I think that we spend a lot of time chastising ourselves for what we didn't accomplish as opposed to realizing that, A, Everything we do is an accomplishment and B, maybe we're trying to accomplish the wrong things.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: how can we look at life from a different perspective and just make life more meaningful, I guess?
0: Yeah, that, that you know, that's a beautiful definition. I actually gave up on meditating a few years ago as well. Right. Because when I go out into my yard, I take my shoes off, I'm walking around on the soil, I'm pulling weeds, I'm doing whatever I'm doing. And
2: exactly.
0: I, you know, it, that's my meditation. Mm-hmm. Wow, how cool is that? So, you call yourself a self-proclaimed foodie. I do. How does that fit into all of this?
2: Well, for starters, I've never met a food I wouldn't eat. And if there's any vegetarians or vegans listening, I am sorry, but I will eat anything. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel that's all part of the pleasures that you can find in life. So, when you think about gardening... Nine times out of 10, most people are growing those items that they eat on a regular basis because the thought is, all right, now I don't have to go buy broccoli. But why not make it an experiment? Why not make it an adventure? Why not buy things that you may not even like, but find recipes that make those items more appealing? Last year, I canned a bunch of cabbage deciding that I was going to make kimchi. Mm-hmm. That was a great recipe. thought it would be awesome, and it was disgusting. <laughs> it wasn't that it was disgusting. There was just way too much garlic, and it just wasn't right, and you ate it, and it tasted good, but no one wanted to talk to you for a week. <laughs> so how can you take every little portion of life and make it an adventure? So my garden, there's things in there we love, but we, I, don't, I don't like tomatoes. I can tomatoes like it's going out of style. But when I make spaghetti sauce, I'm suddenly very glad that I have my own tomatoes. Tomatoes, So thinking about things that way. And that's how me being a foodie becomes a part of my garden. And I guess kind of my motto in life, Mm -hmm. which I don't, I'm going to use a quote. And well, I guess it's not too racy. But my favorite quote is, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Auntie Mame. um, Life is a banquet and most poor bastards are starving to death. Hmm. And I think that says it all.
0: Yeah. Very good. So I'm going to shift on you and I want you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it.
2: Okay. Um, I think the failure I'm going to choose, we've all had different failures. Uh Right out of college, I had decided to start a literary magazine because I just didn't, I I went to a great college. I probably could have gone out and gotten a great job, but that just wasn't me. And I don't think my parents were very happy about the fact that I was taking the money that they put into college to start a literary magazine, but it seemed very important to me. So Uh that's what I did. I had it for about two years. It was well received. It was before the internet. So I would actually mail envelopes of copies out to my friends in different states, and they would put it in their local bookstores for free. I ended up having to let the magazine go more because, well, it's expensive to print a magazine. Uh My partner that I was working with moved away. It was a girl that I'd gone to school with. And putting it together by myself just became a big old hassle. And it felt very personal to me needless to say that failure because it was something that I'd started that seemed very important and when I did it I was thinking hey there's all these literary magazines out there and people get published and others don't but why is that there's tons of great people writing great things so this is going to be the opportunity for those people to get themselves out there um and I kind of let them down I felt, and also Mm. I had a number of works that were waiting to be published that were never published by me, and I don't know if they were ever published by anyone. So I not only let myself down, but I felt like I let my readers and those people who had submitted their writing to me down. But what I did learn from it, because I did this straight out of college, was I can do anything really, and it may not make sense to anyone else, and it really doesn't have to. It has to make sense for me. And I'm going to say that there's been a lot of choices (laughs) since then Uh that I'm sure people go, what is that Tanya thinking? But you know what? If it works, it works. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And I don't spend my time worrying about it. And I'm not going to say, oh, in the past I did this and it didn't work, so I shouldn't try. And I don't say, oh, what if I don't succeed? Then what will people say? Because then you'll never try. Mm -hmm. And that's what I learned from that failure.
0: Perfect. And what do you consider your biggest success?
2: Oh, gosh, you know, this is going to sound kind of trite, but I'd have to say my kids and mainly because I genuinely never thought that I would be a parent. It just wasn't part of my scheme. Mm -hmm. Um, But lo and behold, here they are, which is fine. But I find that I'm able to. Take what my parents gave me. I think kids are raised very differently nowadays. Mm -hmm. Think about what worked for me, and then look at what I see out in the world and kind of decide that's not for me and my family, or that is okay for me and my family. But introducing my kids to something new on a regular basis has kind of become the way that I parent. And it's more important to me that they have experiences than that they have things. And it's more important to me that they give back to others, I guess, than win a medal. Not that they don't do sports, but there is this fine balance. And I think a lot of times we're so keenly focused on one particular thing or two particular things that we forget that there's so many different things out there to be tried and experienced. Mm -hmm. So that I'm rather proud of what I've done and they seem pretty good. Adults like them, even if they don't have kids. Yeah. And other kids like them, so I must be doing okay.
0: Perfect. And by the way, I don't think that sounds trite at all. I think oh, thank you. that was an incredible answer. Thank you. So what drives you? What's your big why?
2: You know, I'm, I live to give, sort of. Not in a martyr-esque type way. Mm-hmm. But, and again, my giving, honestly, now that I think about it, in my current phase of life, goes back to my children. So most of the organizations that I'm involved with, I became involved with because I was thinking about what kind of world do I want my children to grow up in? So there may have been things that were important prior to me becoming a parent, but some of those things shifted just a little, not much, um, after I became a parent. And that's what really drives me. What kind of world am I leaving for the people behind me? And I thought about that before my children, but it became that much more important after I had them.
0: Perfect. So I'm all about education, and I have to know, is there one book that has been really influential for you in this process of gardening, in the process of being a foodie, all of this arena?
2: You know, that is such a hard question (laughs) for me, and I get that a lot, Uh, uh, just because I read a lot. So people are always asking me that question. When it comes to being a foodie, I... Gosh, I don't know. You know what's really kind of weird, I think, when it comes to being a foodie? You're probably familiar with the restaurant Chez Panisse. Oh, yes. Alice Waters wrote a book just on vegetables,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: which is just... And it wasn't even so much what it tells you to do with your vegetables, or... A, I thought it was beautiful. It kind of reminded me of, like, the Moosewood cookbook back in the day. Oh, yes. Being a lot more clean, I guess. And each little section is devoted to a different little vegetable. Mm -hmm. And when you think about gardening and what you're going to grow and you see these lovely little recipes dedicated to just that one vegetable, it's really nice the way it's laid out. But then when it comes to life in general, oddly enough, a book that I've read more than once and I don't read many books more than once is Siddhartha. And it also seems to be a book that is given to me at a moment in life when I seem to need some sort of answer. Someone goes, have you ever read Siddhartha? I bought it for you. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. (laughs) But I read it again because obviously for some reason it's being brought back into my life. Yeah. So I would say those are the two.
0: Nice. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners?
2: Grow it, whatever it is, just grow something. And, Eat it. And even if you don't want to eat it because you don't like it, share. That would be my biggest piece of advice. Just grow something yourself. There's nothing like the pleasure of putting your hands in dirt and seeing something go from nothing into something and on your plate. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today. It's been a pleasure chatting with you.
2: I appreciate it. It was great.
0: Absolutely. How can our listeners get a hold of you? Websites, emails,
2: yeah. So you can reach me at my website, which is www.ecoartsliving.com. L-I-V-I-N-G, uh, there is a contact form on there, or you can email me, Tenye, T-O-N, as in Nancy, Y-E-H-N, as in Nancy, at ecoartsliving.com. Perfect.